HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Sweetgrass Dairy, a second-generation, family-owned creamery. Visit SweetgrassDairy.com to learn more. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast with the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. Our show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people we have the great fortune of learning from all the time. On today's show, we welcome filmmakers Julie Cohen and Betsy West. In today's episode, we're going to talk to Julie and Betsy about their new feature documentary, Julia, why Julia's life story continues to captivate, and we'll get another double Julia moment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. As always, we launch the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Today, our inspiration is the full Julia story. It never ceases to amaze us at the foundation, and I like to think it would continue to amaze Julia how much her story continues to inspire so many. It might be that she didn't find her calling until 35, or success at 50, or that she didn't fit the mold for a typical female television star. Regardless of which inspiring component, millions have found these parts of her story not only relatable, but empowering. Julia's wit and witticisms, now captured in an official compendium of her quotes, people who love to eat are always the best people, are also part of what has made Julia inspiring both to long-term fans and those just discovering her work. Julia was endlessly generous, not only with her time and cooking advice, but with what she had learned about life. It's almost like Julia can be your personal life coach. Many have found that even without ever having met her, her advice, like, never apologize, is motivating, encouraging, and especially for women, liberating. Two people who know a lot about Julia's story are Oscar-nominated and Emmy-winning filmmakers Julie Cohen and Betsy West. They directed and produced the 2018 feature documentary and sensation, RBG, 
for Magnolia Pictures, Participant, and CNN. In 2021, they have not one but two feature documentaries in release. My Name is Polly Murray from Participant and Amazon Studios premiered at the 2021 Sundance Film Festival and is available on Amazon Prime. And Julia from Imagine Documentaries and Sony Pictures Classics, which premiered at the 2021 Telluride Film Festival, opens in theaters on November 5. Julie and Betsy are both former TV news journalists. Betsy won 21 Emmys, yes, 21 and counting, as an ABC News producer. She produced the docuseries Turning Point and was a vice president at CBS News for seven years, overseeing such stalwarts as 60 Minutes and 48 Hours. Julie was her former crosstown rival, a producer for Dateline NBC, and she created and produced Supreme Court Watch on Court TV before uniting with Betsy and her husband, fellow documentarian Oren Jacoby at Storyville Films. Julie and Betsy join us today to talk about why they decided to turn their lens on Julia. Welcome to the podcast, Julie and Betsy. Great to be here. Thanks, Scott. So I have to start with the obvious question, which I know you've been answering uh, quite a lot, especially after RBG. Why Julia? Todd, why not Julia? Like, <laughs> ha- how not Julia? You know, um, following the uh, kind of outpouring of love for Justice Ginsburg's story um, after we our, our film uh, RBG was in release, it just made us kind of reflect on why that was resonating with people so much. And a big reason was just like hearing these incredible stories of women that we're familiar with, but maybe we don't know the full story. Like maybe Justice Ginsburg, like, yes, people knew that she was a Supreme Court justice and had done some amazing thing, but the role that she had played at in fighting for women's rights under the Constitution in the 70s just felt like it wasn't as widely known as it should be. And it just led to the question of like, who what other kind of amazing women's stories could we tell? And Julia Child was such an exciting possibility for us, not only because, you know, she is well-known and people kind of know they love her, but maybe they don't understand why. They don't know the huge role that she played in introducing Americans, not only to great cooking, but just to the idea of enjoying and savoring and valuing great food. On top of that is the role she played in television, like making it clear that a woman that didn't fit from the classic jello mold, you know, that wasn't like exactly everyone, what everyone thinks a woman on television should be, i.e. young, petite, you know, sex bomb, demure, like Julia was, you know, 6'2 and loud and just completely authentically herself and not a supermodel. And yet from the minute she appeared on television, viewers were blown away and fascinated. And that led not only to her own skyrocketing to success, but to a whole new vision of like what women on television could be. And they're like, what a great story. We couldn't wait to tell it. Betsy, do you, do you want to add? That, that was a great answer, Julie. It was comprehensive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let um, Betsy weigh in. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, um, there, we thought about a, profiling a number of women who had done important things. But when you look at how Julia changed our world, changed our culture, uh, you know, had such an impact, uh, we thought that was a you know, would be uh, important and also really fun story to tell because let's face it, Julia is just 
an extraordinary person. And uh, we didn't know the half of it when we started out, but uh, it, it was a great journey. I like that note um, about fun because certainly Julia embodied fun. And I was going to ask you, I think you've already covered some of the differences and similarities between RBG and Julia in terms of your interest as filmmakers. But obviously there was a difference that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still alive when you, you did your documentary and Julia was long gone. Did, did that change the level of fun or how, how was that, that different, you know, doing a documentary about someone who, who, who you couldn't meet? Who isn't here? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's a huge challenge to do a documentary about a person that you can't interview, but luckily, you know, there is a treasure trove of, material of not only Julia's shows, but some behind the scenes material that we were able to get. And also the Julia Child archive, which has the letters and to, to various people really revealing more of the intimate Julia. And one of the things we were really blown away was by Paul's photographs of Julia, which are all in that archive, and we thought helped to illuminate that romantic, sexy time they had in France, you know, when Julia was discovering the world and discovering herself. Uh, so, and also we were able to, to talk to a number of people who knew Julia and, and brought Julia to life. So we, we did our best to, as I said, just give a more intimate portrait of who this person was and how she became Julia Child. No, and I think that really comes out. I was going to say for me, having had the opportunity to already watch it, it is a very intimate and personal portrait. And in some ways, maybe a little more than RBG, and certainly you covered very well and, and very movingly RBG's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg's love story with her husband, um, which I didn't know anything about. And what Julie said, I didn't know about her deep connection to, you know, from a very early age uh, in her life to the to the women's movement and equal rights movement, more, more than movement, uh, legislation. But um I was curious, and I, I think that's really interesting what you said about Julia's archive, because in many ways, her archive, for those who don't know, includes not just her like professional papers, it includes personal letters where she was dishing that, you know, stuff people would write in emails today, and, and she carbon copied it, and it's there. And then also what's revealing about Paul's portraits that he took as much for private use as for any public consumption, and that in some ways... Maybe, Julie, do you think that was like more open than you like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was still in the Supreme Court, was prepared to be with you guys? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, you're, you're right. You know, the overall premise of the question about it, it is more difficult to tell the story of someone who's no longer living. On the other hand, there is a liberating uh, aspect to it. I mean, I'm not going to get too deeply into the extent that we sort of delve a little bit into Julia and Paul's romantic kind of trysts in the afternoon. But like, I'm not sure we would have talked similarly about Justice Ginsburg for just because you're envisioning her sitting there watching it. And like, you're talking about her sex life. And like, that's gone a little too far. Whereas like, you know, in, in the case of Julia and Paul, um, both of these wonderful people are long gone. I actually think they would appreciate uh, 
you know, their romance, their romance being captured, uh, in story form, but it still might have been a little, little inhibiting, uh, for us. And even for people we interviewed, like Ruth Reichel, who, um, who makes the point that you can kind of tell from the way they discuss their, like, long French lunches that there was some, romance um, physically expressed involved in those lunches. And again, would Ruth Reichel have said that if Julia, her friend, was still living? Maybe not. I, maybe. I, Julia was, I, I think you captured it and said it well, that Julia and Paul were very comfortable with sexuality. And, you know, you could meet Julia at 89, almost 90-something and still get that sense. But you're right. Yeah, it might have been, I don't think it would have been Julia's discomfort. Right, maybe. it would have been ours. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and of course they did take that amazing Valentine's Day picture of themselves in the bubble bath. I mean, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that... Even in Instagram era, that's brave. <laughs> so, so adorable and, and sexy and fun. Well, on that note, I have to also ask you the question that, um, you know, especially having made what you, you could say that RBG was a feminist anthem movie and turning your lens to Julia, wh which there's been this kind of ongoing debate, I think, about was Julia a feminist? So I'd love to get your your I mean, maybe it's an obvious question, but I still like to get your thoughts behind, you know, what maybe you went into thinking and what you came away thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think it part of it depends on the definition of feminism. You know, what is feminism? And certainly uh, during the, the 70s and the 80s, feminism became the F word. It was, you know, demonized and uh, the backlash to the women's movement meant that feminists were portrayed as man-hating and humorless and just annoying harpies who uh, we don't want to have anything to do with. And so I think that um, in that sense, Julia didn't identify with that portrayal uh, necessarily of feminism as something which was rejecting men in a way that, of course, Julia didn't reject men and had this you know, wonderful romance with her husband, who by the way, was a feminist husband. Let's face it, Paul really supported Julia. So I think in that sense, that's a very narrow way of looking at feminism. But in the larger sense of opening up opportunities for women and respect for women and what they do, there's no question in my mind that, that Julia was a feminist in that kind of bigger bigger, larger role. And, you know, we love Sarah Moulton talking about Julia uh, always asking in the kitchen, going in to meet chefs and looking around, you know, where are the women? Where are they? Um, I mean, that shows, I think, that uh, Julia understood that she was breaking ground. She broke ground in France when they didn't want uh, women in the Cordon Bleu, you know, professional classes, and then just continued to break ground as a television star and as a and and as a chef, and you know, paved the way for so many women in. in Food. Yeah, I think we would say that feminism is kind of important to us as filmmakers and as people. And we believe in kind of a expansive view of feminism. And 
Julia in our interpretation of everything that she said and did and how she worked and how she lived and even, you know, having a marriage where her husband is right in there with supporting her and she's very proud of this supportive marriage. Like Julia was, was a feminist by, by our definition. And we, we'd want that to come through in, in the film. No, I, I think that's a really helpful thing. And I think you guys nailed what Julia had trouble with, which was at the time she was being asked, there was maybe more of a narrow definition or expectations. And it was kind of like putting you in a specific box. And I think, you know, clearly there's, a theme that runs through your work that is 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 changing what that can mean, which means women can still have womenly roles and be wives, and still they're 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 not mutually exclusive. And I, and I can see that, you know, yes, I think Julia would have been comfortable or more comfortable with your explanation. So I want to go back to the legacy part because you mentioned or we talked about together that. I, or I feel like in RBG, it's 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 pretty equally balanced between Ruth Bader Ginsburg's story and her legacy. You know, particularly it's bookended with that the notorious RBG group of young women. So, how did you guys approach including Julia's legacy and impact on today's uh, food world in the film? You know, we really. Um wanted to dig into the context, the world into which Julia sprang. And, you know, both Julie and I grew up, I grew up in the 50s and, and Julie in the 60s and 70s in a world, the pre-Julia world, the, the BJ world, which, you know, in terms of the food we ate was pretty horrible, you know, and my mother very much influenced by the corporate push toward processed food. And we had a ton of TV dinners and um, jello salads and, you know, mushroom soup casseroles in our house. And that was fun for us uh, as filmmakers. It's one actually one of the first conversations we had sort of directorial conversations about the film was evoking that world, which was, you know, easy to do from from archive. And um, also, we wanted to dig into the world of television, public television prior to Julia. Again, I remember watching WGBH because I lived in New England at the time. And actually, I didn't watch WGBH because it was a lot of pointy-headed professors giving pretty boring lectures. There wasn't much interesting on that. And, I'm, you know, I think we think maybe... Uh, current day audiences don't quite understand that world. And that was something really fun for us to evoke in the film. And Julie, maybe I'll ask you to weigh in. Um, as will not surprise you at the foundation, we noticed that the film doesn't really go into sort of the, you know, maybe AJ things um, of that Julia started the foundation, that there's a Julia Child Award, or that her kitchen is in the Smithsonian, which is a pretty big thing. Was Where did you guys net out with that? Did you feel like that or are you saving room for a sequel, maybe? Uh, <laughs> you know, we try, we as we do when we're making any film, um, the two of us together with our genius editor, Carla Gutierrez, uh, try out all different things and see what lands. I mean, the 
remarkable thing is that Julia actually has a number of legacies. There's a lot to say about AJ. There's, there is everything that has happened with the Julia Child Award and the, and the kitchen being in the Smithsonian, which is so something that we actually did mention in, in, in a, one of the cuts, uh, versions of, of the film that, that we tried. But then the, the other part of the legacy, which, we did get into more in the film is how much everything that's happening in the food world and the kind of world of celebrity chefdom today, things that we anticipate our young viewers are going to be quite familiar with, um, how much that really all harkens back to Julia, how much like the seed that she planted, as Jose Andre says, like has like blossomed into everything that's happened today. And sometimes just for purposes of storytelling, narrative arc of film, like you, you don't want to make it like an outline and like, here's Julie, here's Julie's legacy. There's this whole branch, then there's this, then there's that. And we found that telling the story of, uh, how Julia influenced the chefs that so many people know and love today and making that connection back to her just felt like such a strong story and like that just led us right back into seeing uh you know even once you watch the old footage the black and white footage from the early years of the french chef and connect that to what you see today on the food network or instagram it's like all so clear and some of these other you know important and fascinating things and influential things that julia has done in the food world um felt like kind of separate so we kind of we just we were always narrowing things and uh just making those choices to whatever's going to feel like it's like the heart, heart, the, the heart, like emotion pounding part of the story. So. Got it. Make, make, makes sense. And like I said, we'll, we'll wait and see when, when it rolls out, whether they're, they're leaving yourselves room for a sequel. Um, all right. After the break, we'll be back with more from filmmakers, Julie Cohen and Betsy West. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Sweetgrass Dairy, a second-generation family-owned creamery in Thomasville, Georgia. Their cows are raised barn-free and graze on fresh grass all year round. You can taste the flavor, the bright South Georgia sunshine, and grass with each bite of Sweetgrass Dairy cheeses. Enjoy a variety of aged, soft-ripened, and fresh cow's milk cheeses in their unique and delicious gift boxes. Celebrate this holiday season with local specialty products that showcase the American South, such as Sweetgrass Dairy's award-winning pimento cheese. There are a number of gift boxes to choose from that include an assortment of unique cheeses accompanied by preserves, crackers, cured meat, and more. These charming and sophisticated gifts are the perfect way to show your gratitude, bring people together, and celebrate this holiday season. Visit SweetgrassDairy.com and use the code JULIA15 for 15% off your next order. That's JULIA15 for 15% off your next order at SweetgrassDairy.com. Welcome back. We're talking to filmmakers Julie Cohen and Betsy West about their new feature-length documentary, Julia, which debuts in theaters on November 5. So it may surprise some people, and we talked about this a little bit in the first part of the show, that this is the first full-length documentary about Julia, even though there's plenty of books and um, there was even the Julia and Julia um, narrative movie. So it's been 17 years since Julia passed away. Why, why do you think it 
kind of took this long for someone to say, this is missing from, from the world? You know, I think that Julia is so famous and so well known. I mean, partly from the recordings and, you know, people watching the show over and over again, decades later, but also the Saturday Night Live impersonation and this this kind of superficial idea about Julia. People think they know Julia, but they don't really know Julia. I mean, certainly when Julia and I got into this, we didn't understand how late in life it was that Julia came first to her passion for cooking and how long it took for Julia to become expert in this and to write the book and how, you know, relatively late in life her success was. So, we felt that it's in a way taken some time for people to go, hey, wait a minute, let's let's put Julia in some context. Let's figure out what made this person tick. I think the other opportunity for us was to, you know, bring some cool filming techniques to the table and to do some uh, what we thought would be Julia worthy high end photography of Julia recipes that would bring out the beauty and the joy of creating uh, uh, some of the food that that Julia did. So um, you'll see in the film that we've, you know, we created a recreated a Julia kitchen in New York and and did filming there and also uh, filming in Paris with like a macro camera and slow-mo and tried to make this a visual emotional feast as well, something that the technology now allows us to do. Yeah, no, I, you've actually pretty much answered my follow-up question, which is what would have been different if someone had tried to make this movie in the late 90s when Julia was still uh, on TV or even 2004, just after her death? Obviously, there's you were just mentioning some of the technical things. Julie, do you think thematic or story-wise it would have been a, 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 a different movie if you'd done it a lot sooner? Uh, I think there could have been differences in all directions. I mean, we would have had the, you know, one, one sadness for us just to point out is that like to us, uh, that Judith Jones, the editor at Knopf who made the decision of like, yes, this book could be huge. We should publish it. I don't buy, uh, the view that other publishers have taken that, uh, who, who decided to, to pass on the book that like, oh, like women of this generation is, are going to find this too complicated. They're not going to want to follow these long, uh, complex recipes. I think this is amazing and comprehensive and people are going to freak out when they read it. Of course, that was exactly right. Um, Judith Jones pa- passed away a few years ago. So, um, we sadly were not able to interview her. So that, that sort of thing, like certain, certain characters that could have been in the film, um, that we mention, but, you know, don't, don't become major parts of the story are, are not there. The big bright side is, I don't know, I think there's kind of a new way of looking at stories in docs, like, you know, that you, you, the, the whole idea that you can just take a biography and make it really big and look at someone, particularly someone in the culture sphere and say, no, actually, this isn't, uh, th- this isn't trivial. This person's life was really important. Like changing American culture, food culture is a big deal and is cool. I mean, there was not the interest in food even in 2004 that there is today. Of course, that's a lingering effect of all of the amazing work that Julia did. And like 
So it does actually open the door to, I think, greater interest in this. And as Betsy said, like giving, giving us like the, the idea to sort of delve into food cinematography as its own art form, which it absolutely is as practiced by our incredible, uh, American and French cinematographers, Claudia Rashke and Nanda Bredelard. Um, so, you know, there is more of a door to to this kind of storytelling now because the people who fund movies have come to understand that audiences are really fascinated by it. Yeah, I mean, I think that Julie and my approach is that is not just, okay, then this happened and then that happened and then this happened and then that happened in her life. It's not just like, a you know, a total chronological biopic, we are trying to find these narrative arches involving uh, both what propelled Julia (laughs) from a kind of, to go from this prescribed, somewhat restricted background to, you know, branching out and having these adventures and finding a passion, sort of finding a narrative arc in Julia's own personal story and a narrative arc in our own American story and our relationship with, with food. So, um, you know, that, that's the approach we tried to take. No, I, I think that that's really helpful. I'm really glad I asked you that question because I think both of what you commented on about the timing is really interesting and, and things I hadn't been thinking of. So thank you for that. I, I want to go back to you because I know I've talked to you at different times about the filming of the food and I know you're quite um, happy, I think, with the results of the you know, extra effort and frankly, for a documentary, extra money that was spent to film this kind of stuff. So, you know, did you approach it as food being a character or film or or what was the kind of approach that you went into that led to this investment in time and energy and, and money to to make, I mean, well, I would say it this way, you made the food quite sexy and certainly um, indulgent in the film, which I know was was an intent. So, but what was the approach that you took? Well, you know, yes, I would say we were making food a character, but you know, even maybe more than that, we were trying to really integrate the food story, like the narrative of of food, with the Julia story, and we went to a lot of trouble to to do that. Like having a lot of meetings with our food stylist, our our cook and food stylist Susan Spungen, who helped us figure out like every recipe that you're seeing in the film is an actual Julia Child recipe prepared as Julia prepared it. Um, and figuring we, we had kind of some slots in the story where we were like, we want to make, to make food big here, but what's the right recipe? We knew for our sex and romance in Paris seek sequence that we wanted a dessert but we did not go in with a strong sense of what the dessert should be. So Susan kind of proposed like, well, here's the various, like there's the chocolate, this, and there was a while we were like, well, does it have to be chocolate? People love chocolate. But then when she described the steps of making the pear tart and how there were so many different visuals to see and how sexy it was going to be. And we knew it could be another number of steps. Betsy even said like, well, can you put a little dollop of creme fraiche, you know, whipped cream uh, uh, on the, on the top of that? Um, you know, cause we were just trying to think like a, a food that has its own kind of narrative arc just to the preparation. And we really let Susan help guide us on what of Julia's food looked the coolest and could fit with parts of the story we were trying to tell. Yeah, and you know, we wanted to make our audiences feel really hungry. 
by the end of the movie, which well, I was just going to say, people, if you have a choice of theater, go to the one that has the best food menu because you don't want to go hungry and possibly movie popcorn might not. Or make a reservation at a really good restaurant right after. Right, dinner and a movie. It's perfect for that, right? So one last question before we go to break and and get a, I I like getting double Julia moments. They're fun. Um, I wanted to ask you, because I haven't talked to you about this, if there was an aspect of Julia's story that you ended up feeling was most surprising to you or is most surprising in the film, or if one wasn't surprising, but that you feel is really misunderstood and you're hoping or felt like you were maybe correcting it or shedding more light on it in the movie. I, I feel like there was just this, oh, this, oh, well, first of all, there's the, like the sort of fact checking thing, like people that have looked into Julia at all, or read a little bit about her, like to say that she was a spy, you know, that's not quite true. The, 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 uh, specifics of, of her work at the, uh, and Paul's at the OSS, we wanted to get into a bit like a people that's sort of like something people really enjoy thinking like, oh, Julia Child was a spy before she was, before she started cooking, just like people, there's some crazy stories about, you know, but Miss, about Mr. Rogers, like in the things uh. that cra- some crazy stuff about things that he did as a Navy SEAL, none of which are true. He wasn't a Navy SEAL, or uh, so <laughs> like uh, like wh- why why people want to come people up with these love, messes? We've given up at the is, foundation trying to dispel what Julia said about the work. People want to believe she's a spy, right? Like right. We, we did think you know, but I think just this overall thing of like importance and bigness like there is a you know the Dan Aykroyd impression is hilarious that's what Saturday Night Live does they do caricatures and it was even based as we show in the film off of a real incident that happened with Julia's cutting her finger it was funny and that's why Julia loved it as the film says but like that got carried over into the culture so much that people you know sometimes kind of think of Julia in a trivial way and we wanted that I think that's the biggest record that we wanted to correct well, we've had on the podcast, I think the Dan Aykroyd thing is where a lot of the kind of confusion about what Julia did drink or drop. Yes. And people, I've had very esteemed people in the food world who, you know, read up or not just casually paying attention, bring up these misperceptions as as I think you confirm in the film. You looked for, or maybe you've confirmed in an interview, you looked for footage of Julia doing these things exhaustively and could not find yeah. it, right? We we had our archive producer go through every all of the many hours of the Julia uh, uh, programs and to kind of catalog the different moments. And we certainly found, you know, moments of humor. We found some, you know, wonderful moments of Julia making mistakes and then just quickly recovering from them. But we did not find Julia swigging back glasses of wine while she was doing the show, which is what people still will say to us. Yeah, well, Julia was That's what I loved watching about her. Yeah. So, um, yes, there were certain, um, there are certain misconceptions about this mythical figure, Julia, you know, larger than life, iconic, which she is. And, um, you know, we appreciated those that are true about Julia and, and, uh, you know, wanted to set the record straight. I, you know, we both really, uh, gravitated toward the, you know, Julia's commitment to the things that she believed in and certainly uh, her support for Planned Parenthood at a time where that might have been controversial or lost her and, you know, can still be controversial. Yeah. Lost her. <laughs> Just today. So, still uh, 
you know, some, some fans and yet she was true to her convictions. And we also found very moving Julia's evolution in thinking about homosexuality, going from a kind of denial and just, you know, invisibility, not understanding that uh, her lawyer was in fact homosexual and, and probably being a little homophobic in referring to people. And then just doing an about face. And when when he became, when Bob Johnson became ill with AIDS and, you know, it was truly moving to see that Julia changed and went out of her way to support uh, research for AIDS, to be very public about it and to to change. That was pretty, in, that was pretty inspiring. Great. Okay. We're going to take a second break and we'll come back to get another double Julia moment from newly christened Julia experts, Julie and Betsy. Get in touch, send us an email or a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org or better yet, tweet us at juliachildjcf. Let us know what you think about today's show. And after you see the documentary, let us know what you think about the movie. We'll be right back. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we move into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here's when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she's inspired them in their career. All right, I'm really challenging Julie and Betsy because the whole show has been a Julia moment, but I'm getting, I'm, I'm asking for brass tacks, personal Julia moments. Julie. Okay. I'll do a, I'm going to do a controversial one. Um, so I was a um, really into cooking as a kid, as a sort of so starting around 12 years old. And as a teenager, had a little, uh, had a little catering business. Um, two of my favorite early sources when I was more ambitious, I sort of moved to things that were too easy later, but when I was most ambitious were, um, from Julia Child's Kitchen. I actually didn't have mastering, but I had from Julia Child's Kitchen, which I looked up for the show. I see it came out in 75, so that would be just, uh, right. I would have been 11 then. And, um, and Bon Appetit magazine. Um, loved cooking Julia Child's recipes. I'm trying to remember, like, I think there was a quiche Lorraine recipe in there, which like by, by today's standards seems very retro, but at the time was super cool. Okay. When I'm in high school, I did a summer program with, this is where the controversy comes in. I went to France and studied under, um, someone who, of whom Julia and she were not fans named Madeline Kamen. Yeah. And, um, Julia's only frenemy that I, that, a uh, a French cook who um was was a was a very tough person um who didn't speak highly of a whole lot of people as I recall like had a little bit of something to say and I do remember in that uh it was like a three week course uh in in France and during that course Madeline trying to trying to diss Julia and me saying like no 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 this is like I've got to tell you this from Julia's kitchen from Julia Child's kitchen book is really um re- is really a way for a for a young chef, I was a teenager at the time, to, to really learn uh, a lot about, about, about the food world. I don't think she bought it, but like, um, 
the, the book had enough meaning to me that I was willing to say that and, uh, <laughs> and risk, uh, risk the consequences from a tough, uh, French lady who had her views about food. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. All right. Betsy, is yours controversial? Yeah, no, mine is not controversial, but I'll also locate it in the 70s, which was I had a boyfriend in the 1970s who lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he was a basketball player and he was pretty tall. And he used to love talking about going to his local market and being able to see over the top of the, uh, you know, shelves which didn't go to the ceiling, Julia Child, because the two of them were both on the same kind of the same level. And I always thought that was keep saying, oh, yes, I saw Julia Child in the market the other day, which brings me to today. I mean, since we've told people that we're doing this film, I cannot tell and this must happen to you all the time, Todd. I cannot tell you how many times People have talked to us about meeting Julia and her incredible response, including someone who, you know, told us, oh, yes, I was in Salvador's and I was trying to make a, a, a dinner party for my fiance and I saw Julia and she told and I was so nervous and I said something about it and she proceeded to tell me exactly what to cook. And like we get these stories all the time. It was so clear that Julia loved being famous, loved people, loved interacting with people. It didn't matter who they were. She wasn't a snob about it. It was like she wanted to talk about food. She wanted to connect. And I just, you know, I find it so delightful and inspiring the way she lived a life up until age 91, still reaching out, still connecting with people, still learning things. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, no, and I think you just gave a great description of why we do the Julia moment, because we've know and heard and so many people have these stories. And we've had this sort of full circle thing. Occasionally, people are like, oh, I don't know if I have a Julia moment or I never met her. But actually, we've almost always been able to work backward that even those who never met her, either there was a special meaning and experience like Julie just described, or there's like one degree of separation that's actually really meaningful, which is why I think it's fun to do the Julia moment. Absolutely. It's like we're the only people, Betsy and I are kind of like the only Americans who didn't get to meet Julia Child. And boy, we, we regret it now. Nearly, of, I would say, since you did date yourselves of, of anyone who's sort of 35 to 40 and older, it's like literally to me, I think Julia met everybody. She never <laughs> stayed home. She just was everywhere. It was an, incredible. So I, I think that's the only slight disappointment that often I, I hold back from saying to people is, Julia had this ability to make people feel like they were the only one who met Julia when Julia was sort of meeting everybody. But I think obviously, and and that's, I think, part of what you set up to capture in the film is just all these these special qualities that Julia had that are why she had so much influence. Well, thank you both very much for uh, taking the time out and, and joining me uh, for the podcast. Thank you. So good to be here. Thank you so much, Todd. It's been a wonderful journey and, and working with the foundation. Every Thank you so much. Fantastic. And thank God it's lunchtime now. Yes, we can <laughs> go eat. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Check your local listings for when and where you can see Julia. And for the latest from Julie and Betsy, it's at Betsy West NYC and at Julie Ruth Cohen, Cohen with an H, on Instagram. You can go to at Julia Documentary 
on Facebook to watch the trailer from Sony Pictures Classic. Make sure you're keeping up to speed with us. It's at Julia Child on Facebook and at Julia Child Foundation on Instagram. It's at Julia Child JCF and I'm at T. Shulkin on Twitter. The Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef is used with permission from our friends at WGBH. Thanks to my co-producer at the foundation, Lauren Salkeld, and our sound engineer at Heritage Radio Network, Matt Patterson. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Valtorni. We're on the air on Heritage Radio Network on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, with downloads available soon after wherever you find your podcasts. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation's world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Inside Julia's Kitchen is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>